Ed, tell us everything you know about Yeovil Town. Go. There you go. <laughs> Have you had a nice Christmas? But, yeah, very nice. Well, I've been, uh, as, as people on Twitter will know, been a bit laid up with a bad back, unfortunately. Uh, so I didn't get it doing anything exciting either, before you ask. Uh, I know your filthy mind, Paul, so oh, just, yeah, uh, right, just yeah. randomness. Yeah, it's been a bit sore, but, but I'm getting better. I was good enough, well enough to uh, get to the game at Spurs today. And uh, generally, all right, your Christmas? Yeah, it was lovely. We waited till after Christmas to come down with some sort of something but I was well enough to get to Old Trafford on Boxing Day for the Newcastle game that was really fun I'm also very happy you could join us on this podcast as our special guest today (laughs) yeah I've been on all the podcasts I thought it would be fun for Christmas as a little present to myself to go on all the podcasts I'm glad to see the the hashtag uh, which I didn't create hashtag podcast whore is uh, now appearing on the internet very good Uh, whoever uh, manages to uh, get that uh, trending can have my collection of Manchester United books. I give them away now and again. I've actually only got a few at the moment, but uh, there you go. The thing about that hashtag is it's profoundly inaccurate due to the lack of financial recompense that I've received from many of these activities. It's all been in... Uh, I don't know, no. Whoring can come in many ways, you know. you. I think you... Uh, you you enjoy it in another way, maybe not financial. Um, I just would like to say, Ed, this has all been in the name of promoting the rank cast, of course. And Manchester United podcast unity, surely a noble goal. Oh, very noble. Yeah. So so tell us about your um, podcast horrory. Horrory? <laughs> uh, so I was already lined up to go on the Red Mancunian podcast on Boxing Day. And then just on the day that they recorded the Can They Score podcast tom reached out to me and asked me if i wanted to appear on their christmas special so that was really fun and then on the walk between old trafford and the indian restaurant where the red Mike union show was recorded uh walked past adam doing fan cam so i thought oh i'm just gonna complete the uh complete the the fun and and do one of these as well so yeah it's been fun actually nice to meet people and chat with them it's always always good to have an excuse to talk about united very good so there's a lot to talk about this week because uh, we've had a couple of uh, interesting games and a couple coming up. Uh, where do, where should we start? Should we start home to Newcastle? Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Yeah, I thought that was the best performance under Lou Van Gaal so far. Could well have been, yeah. Uh, Van Gaal, I think, called it his best first half performance or something along those lines. Yeah. I, I thought United were very effective. Interesting that we'd um, we'd spoken about Wayne Rooney's kind of midfield play and I'd uh, criticised him for not really using his strengths as a midfielder. So he said, you know, if he's going to be in midfield, he's got to be an attacking midfielder and his propensity to want the ball all the time and to distribute the Hollywood-style ball from left to right uh, was a little bit annoying. So he had nearly 100 touches against Villa, so very highly involved in the game. He had about half of that against Newcastle, much, much less involved in the game. And uh, I tell you what, if either Louis van Gaal had noticed what I had noticed or Wayne Rooney listens to the rank cast, but he got ahead of the ball a lot, lot more against Newcastle at home and, and as a result got into two excellent positions to score two fine goals. Yeah, if you do listen to the rank cast, Wayne, sorry about all that stuff. Let's just all move on, shall we? I thought it was really interesting, actually, as as a system as a whole. They, we were very, it was very Fergie-esque in that there was a profound lack of midfield because basically Michael Carrick was the entire midfield, but he was sort of supplemented by Rooney from in front of him and Paddy McNair from behind him, basically playing libero for much of that first half, which was really very fun to watch. The only kind of downsides, apart from the fact that we stopped playing after 60 minutes, but I think that was 
that's perfectly reasonable and sensible given the program ahead of them at that point but the only kind of criticism I would have of the team is that we look very slow with the front four of Mata, Falcao, Rooney, Van Persie that's uh, there's not a lot of pace there but they used all their strengths brilliantly and all three of those goals were absolute peaches in one way or another I thought yeah very much so and so look this is a the balance in United squad at the moment unfortunately there is not a lot of pace and if we have pace in sort of fullback positions or wingback positions then most of the time those players are on their own so there's no overlapping runs are there or anything like that so United do play very central and and it's all a bit one paced which means United have to have a lot of the ball in order to influence the game which is a lot of the reason I think why United are better at home than away from home this season picked up a lot more points at home than away from home all round a very fine performance against Newcastle completely in control even when the the foot came off the gas at the end of the game United was still in control of that game I mean if a, a gear or two had to go up then then that would have happened and you can kind of understand United taking their foot off the gas at that time because a game was coming you know less than 48 hours later I mean, Van Hal's spoken a lot about the fact that United he's trying to he called it a play style the trainer coach has got his play style and he wants a play style that allows United to dominate games I know exactly why because he can't he can't build a team that plays on the break he just doesn't have the speed in the in the squad so they have to hog the ball uh, and they did it very well against Newcastle. They did indeed. I thought there was a couple of noteworthy things in terms of the trainer coach and his play style philosophy. The back three was super effective for huge chunks of that game. I mean, I couldn't see it as well in the second half, but in the first half, I was towards the Stratford end, so I could, you know, the end that Newcastle were attacking the first half. And I just thought everyone covered the space brilliantly. When one player went forward, somebody else dropped into cover. You know, when Johnny Evans was caught up pitch at one point, Young was straight in there, filling in where he was supposed to be. And Jones, as ever, excellent in that back three. Evans, better in the Newcastle game, really shabby again against Tottenham and I think there is a discussion to have about Johnny Evans isn't there uh, and what's going to happen but yeah the back three were were just really functional uh, look, I concur with you on on both those points really so Phil Jones you know he's 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 got the potential to be anything he could be an absolutely world-class central defender because he's got all the tools uh, in a way that Johnny Evans doesn't quite have he just has to stay fit he can be anything if he stays fit, but he's of no use to anyone if he's in the, the treatment room. And unfortunately, over the last three years, he's been in the treatment room an awful lot. I looked into the numbers as I wrote a piece for the blog this week, and uh, Jones is averaging less than 20 Premier League games per full season he's been with the club. You know, it's not good enough. And Smalling, even less than that. And, and Evans, only just over 20, so in six seasons or something. So all three of them, they've got faults you know in one way or another with their sort of skill set but all three of them just have to stay fit have to otherwise United need to buy uh, and we've had this conversation before but all excellent against Newcastle and I was I was really especially happy to see Paddy McNair not only as you say in the libero role he was given the spare role against Spurs as well but obviously you know just against Newcastle very confident very assured performance yeah and that was amazing to see given that he'd been substituted during the game against Southampton um, and, you know, in such a public fashion as well. It was brilliant to see him back and confident. The other thing I thought about the system was that the ball retention 
with three at the back. That's definitely the best we've ever kept the ball playing three at the back. The transitions from defence to attack were much smoother. And a good amount of that had to do with the fact that, of course, Carrick, obviously. But uh, one of the factors that seemed really important is that Ashley Young, once again, another genuinely really good game. Uh, and just really tidy with possession a lot of the time and also kind of exciting in possession a few a few times too so a few times yeah uh, if it hadn't been from Falcao's sort of absolute determination to not get on the end of an Ashley Young cross <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I'm sure he should have got a toe to at least one of those I mean Young still he's very one-dimensional still in terms of the final ball I'm mean, nothing but praise for him in terms of his play as a wing back he, he's very solid defensively in that position uh, he seems to get it positionally which you know I, I have to say I'm surprised about and then I think you reset your expectations in terms of what you expect from a wing back that rather than the winger right so I think there's you've got a bit more uh, leeway in terms of his attacking and and he gives an outlet all the time there which is great his final ball still hasn't improved that much but he put in some good crosses against Newcastle and, and you'd think that one of those at least should have been put away yeah absolutely uh, Falcao's performance uh, subject of much discussion on the Red Mancunian podcast that I guess I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned that. But that was uh, it was an interesting one because actually I thought he had a really good game apart from his failure to get on the end of those crosses. Like that assist for the Rooney goal was absolutely stunning from Falcao, I thought. And it's a real shame he didn't score. And then it's kind of the context is set by the fact that he was then actually quite poor against Tottenham, I thought. But in the Newcastle game, I don't think he did too much wrong, apart from just a, a yard short a couple of times. Mm. I think he is a yard short. He doesn't look fit. So, uh, and I don't know whether that's, he just takes a long time to get his match fitness. I mean, he was out for a long time. He's not had a lot of football this season, so perhaps he's still getting sharp. We don't know him that well, do we? I mean, Rooney takes a few games to, to get fit when he's been out. Maybe Falcao's similar, or maybe he's just lost a yard. And, and we'll find out over time, but I think you're right. He, he's... Uh, he, just doesn't look quite sharp enough. Sometimes needs more than one touch to control a ball as well. That might be a bit of ring rustiness. Um, sometimes isn't making quite the right runs. Uh, I hope it all comes together. I, I kind of feel it will do, but he doesn't feel like he's fully there yet. No, and this is a discussion we'll save for a, a show when there's uh, fewer games to speak about because there's a big discussion to be had isn't there about what's what is to come mm. with Falcao and, and well so so Red Issue have been banging on about this I have no insider information on this myself but uh, they have been saying that uh, United will take a decision in April they've been pretty consistent with that and a few of the other papers have repeated that one so uh, it looks like that's it they'll take a late decision on it which is the sensible thing to do isn't it um, given how this season's all panned out Juan Mata a player who's had a lot of criticism was absolutely superb against Newcastle. I mean, he's been pretty good for a few home games in a row and actually he was pretty good again against Tottenham, barring that uh, one really serious miss. But yeah, I thought he was absolutely superb against Newcastle. What did you make of his game? Yeah, good. Uh, you know, involved in the play, so 60 touches or so overall and um, I think that's good. He's it's still. I'm not sure whether it's quite the right position for him playing in midfield um, I mean central midfield he really isn't a free player he's more of a free player at home than away and, and maybe that's why he puts in better performances there he can get into those decking positions where you know when he has time on the ball he's absolutely beautiful to watch uh, very interesting in the Spurs game just how much time on the ball they allowed him to have especially in that first half and it's it's really odd of a Pochettino side to not press and it was the same against Newcastle really he was allowed time on the ball allowed to pick out passes 
passes. He tried a lot of through balls, didn't all come off, uh, did they? But um, I thought he was pretty influential. It's just a shame he doesn't seem to put it together every week. Um, if he was as good away from home as he was at home, there wouldn't be any question of him being in the side. No, and and I do think, as I say, I think Spurs away from home is, is one of his much better away performances. I thought uh, his his through ball for the goal was ah. Oh against uh, Newcastle it was just gorgeous and talking of players who played really well and put in a gorgeous through ball against Newcastle we mentioned him already but an all-round proper standout worth 300 grand a week best player in the side performance from one Wayne Rooney against Newcastle hold on let me just clear that out as it sticks in my throat. Mm. No, no, it's out. It's out there. Well, you see, yeah, I had to temper. I have to temper my praise. You know, he he gets loads <laughs> of. Of course, of, you do. No, no, look. Serious assessment, though. He gets loads of praise, of course, because he scored twice, right? And and that sticks in the mind, and that's um, that's important. But he was much less involved. Now, I can't criticise him because the exact point I made on the previous podcast, uh, which people didn't seem to like, was that he was too involved in the play and he wasn't getting into attacking positions and he wasn't playing like the midfielder he should be playing like. Van Hull then said the same thing. Uh, And so against Newcastle, he had far, far fewer touches, you know, nearly 50% fewer touches uh, in the game, but he got ahead of the ball a lot. And that's why he wasn't getting the on the ball because he wasn't the fulcrum of United's play. He was getting ahead of the ball. And, uh, you know, that produced two goals so you can call it standout performance but in in a way he was less involved and less influential on the game but of course he's getting in the position to score those goals which he did yeah it's about type of influence isn't it I don't want Rooney to be Michael Carrick we've got Michael Carrick yeah you know you want Rooney to be Paul Scholes because we haven't got Paul Scholes yeah but the the question then becomes who's getting into those positions is it Matter or Rooney and uh, because I don't think you can have two players bombing forward from central midfield all the time because you really are playing a donut then and that leaves United open. So away from home, you just can't do that. And it was very noticeable against Tottenham um, how much deeper Rooney and Matter played yeah. than against Newcastle. Well, I kind of figured against Newcastle, we were essentially playing 3-3-2-2 with the back three and then Carrick, Young and Valencia kind of in a line, Rooney and Matter in a line behind Falcao and Van Persie. Pretty much, And, yeah. and as you say, that's fine again against Newcastle at home who offered very very little actually cut apart from a couple of a couple of times in the first 20 minutes they really faded badly once United exerted some dominance over that game but yeah it was it was an incredibly incredibly attacking setup mm. but it worked beautifully like the goals I know I, I mentioned this a few minutes ago but they are three of my favourite goals we've scored this season. That's the way you want to see United playing, right? With really clever interplay, loads of determination and razor-sharp finishing from the forwards, which I guess is a pretty decent transition to the Tottenham game where it would have been a comfortable win if we could have got anything like that razor-sharp finishing. Cause... It should have been 3 or 4 nil by half-time. I mean, yeah. really, not not just in terms of the number of chances United created, but the, the type of chances. I mean, these were Great opportunities for United. Two cleared off the line. One, which um, I read afterwards, it was actually over the line, although Jones was offside. And yeah. uh, Matter free kick onto the post and uh, three or four lorry saves. And um, particularly one from Van Persie where it looked like he couldn't possibly miss from about three yards out. Uh, yeah, Falcao as well, like got himself into such a brilliant position yep. twice. Two very good positions and then, then two very weak yeah, finishes. Yeah, just not what is... you expect from him at all, is it? It isn't. So, look, the first half, uh, United, it, re- really interesting in a way because it, 
in in a way you can look at that first half and say it's pretty scrappy right so neither side kept the ball very well through midfield and there was a lot of head tennis going on it was just a little bit scrappy and messy and I tweeted that half time and got a lot of people saying what are you talking about but United's pass completion rate was below 70% in the first half so that tells you one thing but it doesn't tell you the whole story and this is why stats are misleading sometimes because actually United's passing in and around the the box in the final third was outstanding, wasn't it? Creative, lots of movement. Van Persie and Falcao working very nicely together. Rooney finding Young over and over again in loads of space and matter playing the three balls. So, you know, in terms of the incisiveness of the passing in the key area of the pitch, brilliant. In terms of the general quality of play through midfield, quite poor. Yeah, absolutely. That stuff in the in the final third was superb, and except the whatever the last the final sixth not so good yeah, the finishing part yeah you know that's the hardest bit isn't it to find space around the box and united did that very well so you know big big thumbs up there just a shame that um we couldn't finish it yeah and i think i think if we're considering everything that's been going on the fact that we made two guilt edge chances for falcao two for van persie and one for matter in the course of that game and maybe maybe they tottenham only had that one really good chance right at the, the end, end yeah that harry kane yeah. created for some tottenham player whose name escapes me because really what tottenham players are worth knowing the name of other than harry kane um <laughs> and loris i guess I could name a few more if I was pushed. But anyway, that was a really good chance for them. But we we had a massive, massive edge in in terms of uh, number of chances, fantastic chances created during that game. And and it just didn't break for us. And I think a lot of it has to do with fatigue. Mm. Van Persie and Falcao, Mm. either of them fit and firing would have... uh, would have scored those. Well, yeah, and so Van Hull putting out the same side as the one that played Newcastle. First time since uh, 2012 that's happened to the United team as, as hasn't been changed two games in a row. And that's the one you just wouldn't have expected. Van Hull talked about the need for uh, rotation before the Newcastle game and they didn't rotate anyone. Very interesting. So look, part of it was that Stambouli and Mason in the centre of Tottenham's midfield were just very poor. They just were not pressing. I mean, if you want to get the uh, the best over Carrick and Massa, you press them, you don't give them time on the ball and Tottenham just gave them loads and loads of time on the ball. And so that was um, you know, slightly odd from Spurs. And then the really odd one was, of course, Chichera's Playing it right back, he's a centre back, and uh, yeah, I would assume he'll never play it right back again because uh, he was awful, uh, completely out of position all the time, and and just gave Young the ball so often. I mean, uh, I'm not sure how many times the ball was played, but Carrick, Matter, and Rooney out to Young must have been one of the most popular balls of the match in that, or at least in that first 45 minutes because he had the freedom of White Hart Lane, and you know he did some good stuff with it in the end. He did force that one really good save from Lloris, didn't he? De Gea had a decent game again, although nothing that you would think was particularly difficult for him to deal with because uh, as we said the, their one really good chance was uh, blasted over the bar. Yeah and there's some interesting defensive performances so I thought McNair looked nervous at first you know a couple of missed controls but grew into the game and by the end he looked every part of Manchester United centre half didn't he again in that free roll uh, well, he's taken off what was he taking off 10-15 minutes before the end as United switched to a uh, 4-4-2 but I thought he grew into it uh, so lots of praise for him. Evans uh, not so good. Uh, Jones, bombastic as always. <laughs> um, a very good Phil Jones performance. Um, and then and then the other question for you, before I, I, I let you um, have your thoughts on the defensive performances, was three defensive changes from Van Hal, and, and not the ones I'd think. Cause, you know, you'd think that generally you'd refresh the forwards because 
And that's the bit that's going to win you the game. But uh, uh, swapped out McNair and Valencia and Evans uh, for three defenders. Yeah. I mean, clearly he wanted to get Raphael on the pitch, didn't he? And and Shaw to give them some minutes. So that those two changes make most sense. And apparently, according to uh, a tweet I saw from, I think it was Barney from Red News, saying that basically as soon as Evans blasted the ball down the touchline, that was when... when he sent Smalling to warm up, so it was a punishment substitution for Johnny Evans. Yeah, he's uh, he's good at that. So maybe Evans, um, if you're a betting man, get a bet on Evans to be substituted onto the pitch in the last four <laughs> or five minutes of the next game. So um, you mentioned the passes to Young. Four of the top five pass combinations during the game involved Ashley Young. Young to Rooney 11 times, 10 to Evans, Rooney to Young eight times and eight from Evans to Young. So yeah, that's... Sound, sounds about right. He, he got a lot of the ball, Young, and and he's involved you know he's been one of the finds of the season in a way you know? <laughs> it's so, so mediocre for almost all of his time at United and and you know in truth I think his final product still is mediocre in, in terms of the levels that you set at United but as a wing back he seems made for it and I think the the thing is about his final product is you're right but that has also substantially improved because uh, as you said it was only Falcao not being on form that meant that he didn't get a good couple of assists against Newcastle. It very, very nearly got a goal, although that's a goal from Ashley Young cutting inside and whipping one into the top corner with his right foot is hardly anything new, is it? But you know, well, it's the only kind of goals he scores, I think. <laughs> yes. Very nearly scored uh, that one against Tottenham, didn't he? Laurie's uh, tipping it over. So. Yeah, absolutely. The second half, a bit different, though, from United. Very so, different. So Spurs came back into the game. I mean, um, uh, I, I went to this game with my dad, which is uh, very, very rare. Very rare, in fact, because uh, he's a Spurs fan. So I accompanied him and was sat in the um, amongst the home supporters uh, undercover, hiding myself, as you do. I, I've been to many, many hundreds of games over the years and, and very rarely had to sit with the home fans. Uh, but I've done it twice now at Spurs, which is a bit odd. How was it? Were they were they having a good time? They were having a big moan, actually, the Spurs fans. Yeah, moan, moan, a bit more moan. Very odd person I sat next to. Not, not my dad on this occasion, the other guy who he was like very he gesticulated a lot he was constantly up as you get at football uh, constantly making the wanker sign at all the united players but felt the need strangely i have to admit to whisper it so he was, he was like imagine him vigorously giving it the wanker sign and go wanker wanker it sounds genuinely terrifying that does to me it's kind of sinister like, yeah, wasn't psychopathic. it yeah. Um, I, I was sat at the Newcastle game in the northwest quadrant, just right up the top. So it was a fantastic view from a sort of tactical perspective, if not from a moment-to-moment perspective. I'd had the pleasure of sitting next to one Alwyn Payne oh, for that nice. game, so it was really, really lovely. And um, and there was a pretty, pretty good atmosphere up there, decent. Um, heard all the noise from the Stretford end, and it did look like they were having a very good time up there. So that was good. I do think it's fair to say that the atmosphere at Old Trafford is is definitely noticeably improved in recent months. Hmm. So what wasn't improved, though, was United's performance in the second half. What do, what do you attribute this to? Was it was it fatigue? Um, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, last 15 minutes was all Spurs, uh, and they played 48 hours earlier too. It's been a pattern, right? Uh, so we can call it fatigue, but it is a pattern that United drop off in the last 20 to 30 minutes, and, and Van Hal has noticed it. So how come... Uh, I mean, by the end, Spurs created a couple of good chances, not brilliant chances, and De Gea didn't have a lot to do. But if Spurs had nicked it at the end, you'd, you'd definitely be leaving that game scratching your head going, what on earth happened there? Yeah, Van Gaal called it a fight for life in the second half. Of course, he gave the players a day off on Christmas Day 
It's very nice. Van Gaal clearly does love Christmas. The highlight of leaving the game against Newcastle to discover that Van Gaal had given Christmas presents to people sat around the dugouts. Like, man, that guy, he's just something amazing. But anyway, that drop-off, I, I suspect if we were at home, it would have been less noticeable. And I think I think it's to do with the way round that you play the games, isn't it? Being away from home, very extra fatiguing, got the travel and all that sort of thing. And yeah, I think... I think there was nothing particularly sinister about it. I don't think our fitness levels are massively brilliant across the squad because there's just been so many injuries. So everyone's recovering or, you know, the World Cup took it out of a lot of players. I think there's plenty of mitigation. Yeah, fair enough. Well, that's the past week. Uh, Four points out of six. I think in the end, United uh, might feel a little bit disappointed with that, not winning the game at Spurs, given the dominance in the first half and the amount of chances created. And look, let's be honest, it's very unlikely United are going to make a championship challenge here. Um, the most important thing is to make sure that uh, third place is secured. Definitely don't want to finish fourth. Uh, this is the change in expectations now. We were talking about whether United would make the Champions League or not earlier this season. The um, the results over the last what nine games now, seven wins, two draws, means that um, the Champions League looks very much on and, and third place is very important now because, of course, you don't want to have a qualifier in late July after a presumably a summer tour to the States or somewhere else and then have to play a you know third or fourth place in the Spanish or German leagues in order to get into the group stages. Yeah, I mean, I completely, that's absolutely the case. And I think it is four points from six, but then it's, I worked it out earlier, it's 21 from 20 four or something no no it was it was 21 from 24 now it's anyway we've got a lot of points out of the last nine games it's <laughs> 23 dropped... from the last 27 that's it exactly we've dropped four points in the last nine games which is really really not bad at all is it and if we win against stoke then that draw against tottenham becomes very non-problematic it could be a result we look back on and regret but again similar with the villa game it could also be a, a game that we look back on and go oh it's a good job we didn't lose that because we really need that point yeah and of course lost no ground to chelsea and city both of those uh, drawing at the weekend too although you know as i say i think that making up 10 points to chelsea is, is highly unlikely this season and and even the what seven six or seven to city is, is unlikely too um, but yeah, uh, over the piece over the last nine games, it's a very good return for United. And I guess the one you'd hope for, given that United actually haven't played anyone of real note during that time, apart from the game at Arsenal. And I suppose you'd say the game at Southampton, although no one really expected them to challenge this season. So that was the games this week. Um, I think we've had uh, plenty of questions on Twitter this week. What are the highlights, Paul? Um, at Tomzor says, if you could make a New Year's resolution for one player only, who would it be and what? There are so many that I can think of. Oh, it's difficult. I think I might have to go for... Phil Jones to stop getting injured. That would be like, stop getting yourself injured for the new year, Phil. That'd be very good. Yeah. Falcao, start scoring goals. Yeah. That'd be very good. Wayne Rooney, stop being scouse. (laughs) No, that's unlikely to happen. Although I have to say he's made very little effort in 10 years to be scouse. Why should he? Disappointing, Wayne. Disappointing. At Invictus Dave says, how great is Juan Mata? Was his first touch delivered to him by angels? Yes. Almost certainly. Yes, unfortunately his uh, work rate was not. 
It's not that he's not working hard. It's that he's tiny and ickle, so they knock him off the ball dead easy. Yeah. Is it time, asks Lucas underscore M-U-T-D, to support Chelsea over City for the title? No. Who cares? Who cares who wins the title? As long as it's not Liverpool. Um, Yeah, so we've we've spoken about this. These two clubs don't count. They're they're not real, right? So City are a mid-ranked side that just happened to have a load of petrodollars. And Chelsea are a mid-ranked side that just happened to have a load of illegally stolen Russian, you know, wealth from the people of Russia. So they don't count. Although, I have to say, when it comes to counting up the players and manager, you know, there aren't that many odious players at City. Maybe Samir Nasri. But, you know, Pellegrini's a nice guy. Um, so you can't hate him that much. When it comes to Chelsea, there are a squad rammed, absolutely rammed full of odious and sorry for that word, but but it's just a good description. There's nothing about them that is nice at all from the way their fans behave and the way their team behaves and the, the diving, dive, a lot of diving at the moment. Uh, Mourinho, I might have liked him if he'd come to Old Trafford, but, uh, you know, clearly he didn't, so I don't. Um, so there's very, very little to like. Not that there's anything to like about City, but there's not that much to despise either. I still kind of look down on them. I think that seems fair enough to me. At Rob underscore UWS says, what part-time job should Anders Lindegaard do now that he doesn't play football? Matchday car park attendant, I reckon. He says, you could get him selling UWS, couldn't you, Rob? Surely that'd be that'd be good to shift a couple of extra copies. Anders Lindegaard. Well, he said many times that he's he's not at the club to pick his nose. So picking his nose is not the job he'll be doing. It's interesting though because he he gave a really nice interview towards the back end of last season or maybe the beginning of this season where he said he never ever thought he'd be happy being a number two, but it doesn't feel the way he thought it would feel. It feels like he's really part of something special at United, and that's why he's been happy enough to stick around. And I kind of, there's something sort of sweet about that. Being a second choice goalkeeper has always seemed the weirdest, weirdest job in football. But you just never know, do you? You never know when it's suddenly going to be important to have a decent one. Mm. So I I suppose you could be Brad Jones at Liverpool, finally getting your big break. Oh, 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 dear. But I know he's a Liverpool player, but I mean, if you haven't got some human sympathy for Brad Jones, man, that poor guy. It's not gone well, has it? Uh, he sub- subbed off for Mignolet, the ultimate... Um, insult. Yeah. Uh, so, talking of the ultimate insult, we're playing against Stoke. and not seem like something that people should have to do, but it is a thing that people have to do. We come face-to-face with the Manchester United legend and terrible, terrible bloke that he has become, that is Mark Hughes. And Stoke's still the tallest team in European football. Even if they, yeah, even if they play a bit nicer football now. Well, of course, you know, beat them at uh, Old Trafford not long ago. It always, it's weird this time of year when the the fixtures come sort of back to back like this, and they only just played them. Yeah, and, and a, a bit fortunate to beat them in a way. So yeah. they had all those chances late in the game. Back, it said a mixed results for Stoke recently. You know, beat Arsenal, lost at Chelsea, or lost at home to Chelsea, didn't they? Beat Everton. The other night at uh, at Goodson Park and uh, and beat West Brom over the weekend too. So, you know they they're doing all right. 
they're in the middle of the Premier League table, so I suppose that's what you'd expect. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what to expect from this game, though. It's, it, as I think I said last week, it's very difficult to preview these games because so much of it does have to do with fitness. I kind of wonder if we won't get something rather similar to we got against Tottenham. And uh, again, a, a similar eleven, although with Shaw and Raphael back in contention now, it starts to get interesting again, doesn't it? There are some... Uh, Big decisions for Van Gaal. It does. Good move to the back four again, yeah. Um, I, I mean, he was very plain, wasn't he, last week when he said, uh, I, I have to play, it's, it's forced upon me, I have to play with wing-backs because I don't have any full-backs, I don't consider Valencia and Young full-backs, they're wing-backs, and they've done very well at that. So I think he will move to a back four as soon as he feels that Raphael and, and Shaw are fully fit, match fit. And then we'll see, I mean, Young might keep his place in the side depends on when Di Maria's back of course and because uh, he does like to have some width in there and and will Stoke come too early though for that do we think that Shaw and Raphael are fit enough that's the thing because Raphael looked really rusty against Newcastle not a lot less rusty against Spurs so it's kind of interesting to to see whether he's going to think that he's ready to come back properly. yeah they might be ready for the Yeovil game of course which is yeah. just a few days later so it's three days it's Thursday the Stoke game and then it's another three days on from that for the cup game and then they've got a week until Southampton so it sort of makes sense as well to to switch systems ahead of the Yeovil game so where you can kind of think that there's a good chance that we can iron out some of the rust rather than trying to do that in a Premier League game indeed but this this Stoke game is um an early kickoff on New Year's Day. I seem to remember that going a bit wrong <laughs> now and again. Uh, will Van Hal be kind and allow them out for New Year's Eve? Let's hope not. Let's hope not. My first ever time to Old Trafford, of course, Ed. You'll remember that fondly, no doubt, as we uh, lost 4-1 to Queen's Park Rangers on New Year's Day. Yes, indeed. The most hungover footballer I've ever seen in my life. And Lee Sharp allegedly. Can I take us on a caveat? You mentioned Van Gaal's press conference and him, uh, not a caveat, what's the word? A detour. Digression. Uh, A digression, that's exactly the word. Van Gaal was really honest about that three at the back and Van Gaal has been prepared consistently all season long to be honest with the press about his tactical thinking, his uh, the reasons for his substitutions, who he's planning to pick ahead of games. He basically tells you in a press conference, if he says a player's ready for the first team, they're going to play. And when he says they're ready for the squad, they'll be on the bench. There's not been any tricks and stuff. And it's so different from Ferguson and, and the relentless commitment to mind games, which was actually partly born out of a complete disrespect for the press. But there was a really good interview with Fergie on BT Sport on Boxing Day, Claire Baldy. You can probably find it on the internet if you look hard enough. It was kind of interesting. You know, it was typical Fergie stuff. You asked him about golf and horse racing and all that malarkey. But she did also ask him about football and the Harvard thing. And he said that they had written on the board all the different aspects of a manager's job and it was like playing staff CEO owners and they'd also written fans and media and he said I just crossed out fans and media because there's only you can't you can't make the fans happy except by winning and that's so that's the only your only obligation to the fans is to to win the games and you can never make the media happy and I'm not 100% sure he was right about that you always said and it always struck me that when he's lying to the press 
he ends up lying to the fans by proxy. And it's really interesting to me that his perception was that you, you can't do anything for the fans except win. And Van Gaal is literally handing out Christmas presents to the fans. It's nothing to do with winning. There's a definite difference in approach. It's a very good digression, Paul. And I think in that, Ferguson's completely wrong. And so there's this that thing that I've said a few times that lying to the press is lying to the fans because it's your... It's your major tool of communication. And I've had many a debate with people on Twitter about that. Many people disagree because they, they just say, you know, I don't care if he's uh, if he's fooling the press, that's a good thing because they think it's a war. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's not, you know. And I think good public relations is not just about great image for the club. It's also about how you, how you communicate to the fans and how you make them feel part of the club. And so, look, why do people love Juan Mata? Right, part of it is just a lovely bloke, and he's got a beautiful first touch. And and uh, when he hits that forty-yard cross-yard ball to crossfield ball to Falcao, you, you sit back in wonderment, and uh, it's worth the entry fee and all of that kind of stuff. Part of it's that, but part of it's he's just great at communicating with fans, you know. And he's managed to build a relationship up, and and Van Hal has done that as well. Many people have said that in his time in Holland that he distrusts the media, that he sees it as a bit of a battle. But he's not seemed like that in England at all. And, you know, maybe that was true of of him in many circumstances. And he did have a war with some of the Spanish press, the Catalan press, uh, for sure. And, and, and also at Munich, too. But it's not been that way in England yet. He's been abrasive with the press sometimes. But he's actually, as you say, been very open. And he's openly talk to the fans basically about what he's doing and why he's doing it and what he wants to achieve and where he's trying to go and and uh, giving out presents to the fans is a lovely touch of course just a little touch but I think that was kind of emblematic of something bigger rather than just a cheap PR stunt. Yeah, and this is the thing. Of course, none of this is a replacement for winning on a Saturday. And Fergie did change dramatically over time. And I'm sure we are in the honeymoon period of Van Gaal because his whole career history tells us that that is the case. And that at some point it'll turn. He'll get to the point where he's finally fed up with the press asking the same question over and over again. Because that's when he gets abrasive, isn't it? It's when he says, I've already told you this. And it's a kind of like there's an exasperation there where it's like I've been honest with you and given you a proper answer to your question and also when he's not going to answer the question he doesn't deflect he just says no I'm not going to answer that I can't tell you that I've got to discuss that with someone else or whatever you know but yeah I I just I do think it's interesting and I, I I do kind of prefer it to Fergie's way of doing things although you can't argue with results when it comes to Fergie's wife doing things. No, of course not. But look, there's there's one more thing I think about this. And I think it's a generational thing that... And maybe maybe this is a bias because I write for a website and uh, we have this podcast and we overanalyze everything as a result. But I think there are more tools for fans to get involved in football in a deeper level these days. So it used to be you go to the game, you'd watch it, you go back feeling happy or sad depending on results. And that was the depth of your analysis, really. Now you can watch the game from 50 different angles all over again you can analyze all the stats uh, through five or six different services which are public and some that are paid uh, you know to an incredible depth you can read other people's opinions re- read tactical analysis um the managers are interviewed in 15 different channels and and so there's just a greater depth so the results are one thing and they're the most important thing of course but there's everything else as well 
right? So I think understanding why decisions were made and, and what players are coming to the club and why and what players are in the team and why they are and the tactical nuances of the game is easier to grab hold of these days. So I think, you know, Van Gaal's open approach then means something, right? Because you're engaging on the same level that the fans can do. And, uh, and in that way, Fergie had become dated, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a fair and interesting point. I have to say, having said all that about Fergie with a slightly critical bent, it was also just lovely to see him. And I'm I'm very happy that he's enjoying his retirement as much as he seems to be. And he was very nice about Van Gaal and very nice about the team um, and very nice about Rooney, which I thought was, was nice and, and sort of genuine, you know, the... You cannot. You could always think we watched Fergie for so many years. You know when he means it. You know there was something about it that you could you could see there was a sense of just pride and sort of he, he was very proud when he was talking about De Gea as well. So yeah, well worth well worth watching and, and always nice to hear from Fergie. I didn't explain why he picked David Moyes though, did he? <laughs> he never will. He's like completely abdicated responsibility for that because Fergie is a mixed bag <laughs> as always. Talking of mixed bag, I reckon the Stoke game is going to be a bit of a mixed bag. It certainly will be, yeah. I I find it very hard to pick a winner out of this because, you know, I think United played well enough in that first 45 at Tottenham to suggest that we're going somewhere on the road at last because it's been pretty poor this season. I've got to say 11 points is not a great haul at all from away games, but it felt like there was a progression. And then the second 45, it didn't feel like there was much of a progression at all. So I'm not quite sure what we expect. But Stoke aren't that great at home at the moment. So this isn't Stoke of old where the home was a fortress and that was their real strength. Hughes is trying to change up their style. And so they've had a mixed set of results. So you go there in a a slightly different mindset, I think. And uh, I I think he probably will play a 3-5-2 or 3-4-1-2 or some version of 3 and something else ahead of them but I feel that you know United can go there and keep the ball and dominate and and you know should be able to win as a result yeah I mean I I think so too I I think that it's all about whether the quality tells obviously United have got a lot more quality than Stoke have but Stoke have got little pockets of quality so they can definitely do some damage if Bojan has a brilliant game and all our forwards misfire again we're going to be in trouble but you know on the balance of probability United should be able to put something together and and actually even though Stoke are that kind of big side and all that that stuff they don't play that way anymore to the same extent so you know so long as does Lee Catmull play for Stoke or Sunderland he plays for Sunderland Sunderland there we go that's fine then Uh, this is my great fear is that Lee Catmull is going to snap Michael Carrick in half and we're going to be in trouble but yeah anyway no but but Kirkic or Bojan what what do we call him these days everyone calls him Bojan everyone calls him Bojan well you know he's he's got the quality to do some damage and Diouf is there you know ex-United player and all that and Crouch just about still playing age 478 uh, which uh, coincidentally is how tall he is as well, in whatever unit of measurement you choose to use. Chilcross has been a big plus, though. You know, he's um, a player still there. Everyone thought he'd leave, and he's still their best defender. And uh, he's one of the very few players who leave United and make something of it. And, and you know, and you, you'd like to see that. And, and look, I think United will go there. They Stoke will try and match up in terms of, of playing football um, because that's what they do these days and, and United have the better players and will dominate and, and I think there's a very good correlation between the amount of possession United have away from home and, and the amount of chances we create because 
This is not a team that can play on the break, and I expect United to have 60% possession and, and win the game. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds completely reasonable to me. And then we come on to a game where I could provide you with so much in-depth tactical preview of this one. Oh, man. Oh, sorry, what was that? Oh, I'm needed elsewhere. Oh, sorry, Ed, got to go. You, you better take this one. Well, uh, I have alongside me Alan Shearer. He's going to give you some in-depth tactical analysis. Uh, well, the thing about Yeovil is they will make it difficult for Manchester United because they've got to have a lot at stake and you never know magic of the FA Cup. Oh, what's that, Gary? You need me elsewhere. Oh, I've got to go. Sorry. Very good. Uh, so what about Phil Neville? We'll have Phil Neville on the show instead. Oh, uh, what's that, Gary? You need me. Oh, I've got to go. Sorry. So I think what we're trying to say is... Although we'd hate to become the match of the day of podcasts, we don't know an awful lot about Yeovil. They are a town and a civil parish in South Somerset. Oh no, hold on. That's Yeovil, the place that I've got the wrong Wikipedia page up. Hold on. Here we go. Yeovil Town FC. Managed by Gary Johnson. We know who he is, don't we? So that's something. We do, yeah. Uh, He used to manage Latvia. Amazingly enough. Yeah, no, I kind of remember him from years back when he was John Beck's assistant in Cambridge. You know, Cambridge of the uh, like ultra long ball. (laughs) And they took long ball to new heights. Literally, yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, John Beck, he used to uh, uh, grow the corners of the pitch at the Abbey Stadium so they were longer and the ball would stick there and then put sand down and uh, give his players ice baths and and all the rest of it. Uh, They play at somewhere which we think is probably called Hoosh Park. Hoosh Park. I, I remember years ago, this is a new stadium, a relatively new stadium. Remember years ago, Yeovil had the sloped pitch? I do remember that, yeah. And everyone would hate going there in the FA Cup because you'd be playing downhill for at least half yeah, the game. absolutely. What else do we know about them? Their chairman is John Fry. <laughs> this is terrible. This is the literally the Wikipedia entry. I genuinely don't recognise a single one of their players. My lower league football knowledge is, is abysmal. Am I... Top league football knowledge is not great, but when we start getting into those lower divisions, it's it, it's messy. What we do know is that it will be a, a very prized away trip for a lot of Reds because uh, that's a long, long journey on the monkey bus, isn't it? Oh, Dan, Dan, some say, well, they are bottom of League One at the moment. They got relegated from the Championship last season, so um, unfortunately, we don't know a lot, and we're very embarrassed about that. And we'll no doubt get tweets. Uh, telling us about how poor the quality of our research is, but they're currently bottom of uh, League One, which uh, says some nasty stuff has happened to that club recently. So you expect United to go there and absolutely smash them, but it's not quite like that on the road when you're United at the moment, is it? I mean, this is the thing. Like, When did we last put on the kind of performance that we were supposed to put on against a, a really lower league opposition in the FA Cup? Seems like it's been just about forever. I mean, there's no Darren Gibson in the squad, so he's not going to play. You wondered how much he is going to rotate because we don't want to end up in the situation we ended up in against MK Dons where he just plays uh, not so much the kids, but the the real squad squad players that are, are never getting anywhere. Like Anderson started that game. So, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where Anderson's starting and we we get hammered and we don't have a cup run because a cup run could do an awful lot of good. I mean, we're talking about relationship with the fans. If Van Gaal really wants the fans on side, winning the FA Cup will go a heck of a long way to that. But, not if it's at the expense of third place, right? Well, no, yes. We, I mean, I think what you're trying to say is that Anderson should be nowhere near the team, and I thoroughly agree <laughs> with you. Uh, Shamoon Hafiz uh, on Twitter wrote a piece this week in which uh, he accused Anderson of having weight problems, which amused me somewhat. Uh, does, no, that, that doesn't seem right. He did, uh, and he does. 
poor old Ando. It'd be nice to see him play football somewhere. Uh, MUTV was showing old Spurs United games, as they do, and it was the game from the beginning of the 2011 season where Anderson scored from a well-back back heel and cleverly, and Anderson absolutely bossed that midfield, and De Gea looked really flaky. It was like a, it's like watching a football match from an alternate universe. Yeah, indeed. Well, look, in terms of the team at Yeovil, I'm sure there'll be some fringe players, of course, you know, because it doesn't make any sense. After the amount of games United have had... He can play a bunch of fringe players and some of the senior pros who've played a lot of games already over Christmas will will get a rest. So uh, Anderson may well have to play. Uh, Darren Fletcher may well have to have a game as well. Um, uh, Tyler Blackett not had a game for quite some time. Now will get a game. Lindegaard will get a game. I assume Shaw and Raphael will get a game because they need to get a game. And, you know, James Wilson will get a game. And then, and then maybe some of the younger kids... Uh, like Andres Pereira, who's been on the bench loads, will we'll get a game too. And Adnan Yanazai. Adnan Yanazai, footballer Adnan Yanazai. He, he still exists, yeah, he's been ill, so we'll give him that. Right. But he's, okay. he's barely played. Uh, he got the same illness as um, as Mara and Fellaini, and uh, Van Hal in his press conference said it was because they were Belgian. <laughs> Which was interesting. I think that was a joke. Um, talking of jokes, Fellaini got then got a broken rib in training, which is just like, what? I mean, come on, come on, Jonesy, just stop it, lad. You don't need to take them all out one at a time. Your place in the team is assured on merit. Herrera might get a game. Can't get anywhere near the team at the moment. And uh, I mean, he picked up an injury. Didn't he, he did. After the, he so. did, which is fair enough. But he still couldn't get anywhere near the team when he wasn't injured. Just the players I've mentioned there, you know, players who need some minutes. That's still a pretty strong side. Yeah, absolutely. And they should have too much for Yeovil, assuming all the things that I'm assuming based on nothing but prejudice are true about the state of Yeovil. Mm. Well, they lost their last two games uh, at home to Colchester and then away to Bristol City. Yeah, that doesn't Gutted. it doesn't sound like they're a very good football team, Matt, if they're bottom of League One. Uh, indeed. So yeah, sorry to anyone who was tuning in to learn more about Yeovil. There are vast quantities of resources on the internet, though. You can find some stuff out. So with that in-depth preview concluded, let's do some sort of predictions for the Stoke and Yeovil game. I think I might go with a 2-1 win over Stoke and a 3-0 win, a 3-1 win over Yeovil. So I'm going to say United are going to win at Stoke 1-0, which is a brave prediction given that uh, we played through at the back, but you know, didn't concede any at White Hart Lane. And then I'm going to go for a 4-0 win at Yeovil because... Yeah, just because. We shouldn't have conceded any against Newcastle either. There's only given away a ridiculous penalty that meant it wasn't a clean sheet. It should have had two in the bounce. It's true. We, di- we didn't talk about that and that was a ridiculous penalty. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Beautifully struck home, of course. Fantastic. And it's like the only way of beating De Gea, isn't it? <laughs> At the moment. It's right in the top yeah. corner. So yeah, it's been an okay week for United. Some, some highs and some lows, but some fantastic performances in amongst it. You know, just some, some really vintage play on show and I I do think we we're seeing increased percentages of that as the season goes on and that can only bode well for the future and we've still got a ton of players to come back from injury and make a difference and in the second half of the season and and I think you know I think we are at the halfway mark aren't we or close to and and I think given everything that's happened, it's going just about as well as it could be, really. Yep. Van Hall said it was the best 45 minutes of football that United have played this season in the first half against Tottenham. And it was a struggle in the second half. Let's hope uh, it's more of the first or the former rather than the latter in the next two games. I mean, and if United do play like that, they're going to blow away Stoke and the Oval, obviously. But it's, you know, it's about putting it all together. So... 
um, the, the level of passing in the final third, creating those chances and then fishing them off. And, and you know, with, with the amount of attacking talent there is in the side... Uh, that really should happen. And, you know, as a result, he said two points lost. And I kind of agree with him. But it's a small blip over the last nine games, isn't it? And I think United will get back to winning ways at Stoke. And we'll have a, a nice day out in Somerset for those who have a ticket. And, uh, you know, it, it's nice to have an FA Cup game that is not against another Premier League side because that's a rarity. It is indeed. And this is the last rank cast of 2014. A year in which Manchester United have had three managers, rather remarkable thing to conscience, and a year which ends on a much more optimistic note than it started in terms of how it feels about the future of the club. But we'll we'll see what 2015 brings for United as a whole. What we uh, certainly say is I hope it brings lovely things for you, the, the Rankcast listeners, and massive thanks to everyone that's got in touch with us over the festive season I've had some lovely messages on email and on twitter and all that sort of thing so uh, if you want to get in touch with us you can find me on twitter at utd rankcast ed at united rant find us both on facebook where a lot more people have been getting in touch so we'll be getting a bit more involved over on the facebook um unitedrant.co.uk uh, for a vast amount of exciting and informative manchester united content well it's quality not quantity in it ed that's the key that's it, it yeah it's a we, we take an opposite approach to to content don't we yeah you're absolutely <laughs> everywhere <laughs> and i just do the little bit man again yeah if you want to read what i've got to say you can read it on a bleacher report and if you like the podcast and want to get it easily you can subscribe to us on itunes that'd also be cool if you don't if you listen through itunes and are not subscribed you wouldn't mind hitting the subscribe button that'd be super awesome because it gives us a bump to our numbers which is always good and uh, if you don't use Apple products. There's tons of different podcatching options, which all there certainly are. Stitcher, we, we are yeah. on there now, and um, uh, Outcast is very good. I, I use Beyond Pod on my phone, Pod, which yes. I, I really like. So yeah, just search for Rankcast and hit the subscribe button. I think you have to search for it in, with two words. We one day, Ed, we should decide on the exact branding of that but that's a discussion for off air maybe we'll let the listeners vote (laughs) yeah is it one word or two i think i'm team one word but i can never remember i get confused Mm. i i I know what is one word it's hashtag podcast whore (laughs) i'm not going to be on any podcast other than our podcast for ages now as well i thought you were getting on the serial podcast now come on paul did you uh, did you strangle that girl to death in, no. in Baltimore in 1999? You did, didn't you? Admit it. It was not me, Gov. It wasn't me. I, I do a lot of things to get on a podcast, not that. You draw, you've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for listening throughout 2014. We have a fantastic number of listeners, I have to say. Never expected so many of you to tune in each week uh, to listen to us not know anything about Yeovil Town. <laughs> have a great New Year. I'm sure you'll all be out celebrating, except if you're a Manchester United player... I know you're listening. No booze. All right? Sorry, lads. <laughs> no booze, lads. Don't don't listen to what Lee Sharp says to you. It wasn't the it's booze. It's not okay. Him. Allegedly. <laughs> also, uh, another thing to uh, thank in terms of the rank cast in 2014. We've had a massive addition to the team in, in producer Tom and couldn't do it without you, Tom. So thanks, thanks as always. Follow him on Twitter at Teach Sound. All right, that's enough us talking. We'll see you next week.